This week's budget might have seen plenty of corks popping, and not just because of the cuts to alcohol duty on sparkling wine. Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak didn't do a huge amount in his budget as far as retail financial services are concerned, and for some people that might be a good thing. Instead, he focused on reforming alcohol duty, changing air passenger duty and reforming business rates. But is that as simple as it seems? I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. And with me to dissect this week's budget are Claire Trott, Divisional Director of Retirement and Holistic Planning at St. James's Place, Chris Everington, Private Client Tax Partner at RSM, and David Battersby, Portfolio Manager at Sanlam Private Wealth. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. David, we'll start with you, if I may. Uh, what's your um, assessment of the sort of the the general um, economic impact of the, the budget and the investment uh, impact? I think uh, the budget um, was notable for what we already knew. So much had come out um, that uh, even um, the Speaker of the House, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, um, said that he was furious and they were running roughshod and perhaps um, people you know, should resign. Because as I was listening to the budget, I go, oh, yes, I've heard about that already. Yes, I know about that already. But um, some of the uh, uh, bits uh, that I thought sort of you know jumped out at me uh, was uh, the first piece uh, at the Office of budgetary responsibility when they talked about uh, inflation will average 4%. Um, and we had uh, been given to believe that uh, inflation would be transitory. Uh, it doesn't say it would go back, debt prices would go back down again. Uh, but hitting 4% uh, on average is a lot higher than we had expected. And the interesting thing is that this um, forecast of 4% doesn't include the uh, recent increases of the gas price. So this average of 4% could turn out to be higher. Mm. And the um, alcohol duty that I mentioned in my intro, a little bit in jest, but um, I suppose that does that stuff have, have an impact on, on inflation, do you think? You know, sparkling wine prices uh, yes, going down twenty eight percent. You see, the thing that um, um, causes inflation is people um, spending on the high street. So, if you're going into the boozer, um, buying more beer, which you might, um, yes, it may be cheaper, but you might start buying more of it. But um, it was really it was, it was interesting what he was actually doing there because he broke it down into uh, four parts. He said he was going to uh, totally reform um, alcohol duty. Um, so at the moment, there's about 15 different rates, um, depending on what you're drinking. Well, he's going to reduce that to about six. So there's a simplification there um, to start with. Um, I'm a great fan of craft beer. And if you're um, a small brewer, um, then he's going to uh, you know, help you out there with some sort of craft beer relief or craft producer relief, I think is going to be the um, proper term for it. Um, and as you mentioned, he's going to end the um, duty on premium sparkling wine, because um, as he pointed out, sparkling wine is, you know, no more alcoholic than normal wine. So why do you pay a premium for it. Um, so that's coming down and um, duties are, are going to be cut from um, midnight tonight. So I wouldn't rush out straight after work, uh, but if you can hang around till midnight, that's the time to head to the boozer. <laughs> um, and, and 
Chris, David mentioned things that we already knew. And one of the things that we already knew was uh, national insurance uh, going up to pay for um, social care. But, you know, I suppose in many respects, that was the the big fiscal event as far as tax is concerned. Absolutely. I mean, the the key theme of this budget, in, in a strange sense, is tax avoidance, except this time it isn't tax avoidance of taxpayers. It's the Chancellor who's trying to avoid talking about it. You know, he's 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 done a big announcement in September. He really didn't want tax to be the main talking point. You know, he's made a lot of announcements in advance Um the, the country's tax burden, according to the Institute of Fiscal Studies, is at its highest sustained level for 70 years. I mean, ultimately, he doesn't want this budget to be all about bad news and more tax rate rises. So, you know, there's there's a there's a famous quote um, which was done by a, fa- a finance minister to Louis XIV. So, quoting French, French historical tax quotes at you, but the art of taxation is plucking the goose to obtain the largest amount of feathers with the least amount of possible hissing. And and I think the mood music of the country, as far as I see it, um, is that that tax goose is plucked. It's already in the oven for Christmas, subject to supply chain issues. Um, <laughs> but you know the it, it, it's it. The, the, the Chancellor came out and, and made some very pointed comments about tax today. And even though he didn't necessarily int- make any dramatic changes, what he has done is scene setting. You know, he, he, he came out and said people should keep more of the rewards of their efforts. You know, we, we're driving towards a low tax economy. Ultimately, the goal is to reduce taxes. It's reward energy, reward work. And basically, everyday spending must be met by taxation is what he came out and said. So he's had increasing calls from lots of different quarters saying, you know, whenever there's a crisis, and we seem to have a different one every week at the moment, that the government should intervene and do something about it. And I, there, was a, there was a point towards the end that you could sense the frustration in his voice, you know, continually having to try and put his hand in his pocket and find funding. And we've seen, you know, the internal politics between sort of you know, Kwesi Kwarteng and, and Rishi. And, and he's delivered a very clear message. You know, he, he's turned on the tap with the pandemic in terms of public spending. Now he's clearly turning it off again. Um, yeah, so the taxpayers at the moment, I think it's fair to say we've all dodged a bit of a bullet in this budget. Um to some extent, I know it's Halloween this week, but it feels like a Christmas Carol reference might be apt here. You know, so do you know the situation where Scrooge has actually, you know, he's seen his past and he needs to change his ways. Something he's very generous. It's it's almost the opposite of that. Um, Scrooge is now getting visited by uh, Jacob Marley and being told, "Oh, you need to calm it down a bit and, and actually, you know, be a bit more fiscally more responsible because otherwise you're going to be paying more." Mm-hmm. He paid. I uh, spent a lot of money. Um in this budget but that's mainly coming from economic growth as, as far as you can tell isn't it chris yeah i think that that seems to be the message i mean there certainly there wasn't anything on on the tax side of the balance sheet to, to try and level that up it a lot of it was around oh well we had this prediction that you know if this this was what the economy was going to look like and actually we've done a lot better and he's taken the measures they've already taken with things like the increase to corporation tax that's coming in from 2023 up to 25 percent the health and social care levy that you touched upon that was announced in in september all of this you know these were major significant tax increases and he doesn't need to do anything now i think that's that's the key point is that he feels like he's had he's he's pulled the levers that he needed to in order to 
to balance the books. And thankfully, the economy has performed better in this last period since the last budget than he was anticipating. Mm. And David, he seemed to have good news to tell on the economy. Uh, he certainly seemed to have good news to tell, and that, um, as Chris mentioned, is really uh, down to um, uh, the OBR's increased uh, growth forecasts. Um, it had been four percent; they've increased it now down, uh, now to six and a half percent. And I think that's behind him, you know, being allowed to be more generous um, than perhaps he even thought himself. And perhaps, indeed, we have you know, dodged a, a bullet for now. Uh, but uh, there certainly probably will be further tax rises down the road, which I think have already been alluded to. Um, so, but, you know, for the moment, uh, the uh, the economy, it's all about, uh, I mean, he started off on a very, very, you know, positive note, um, you know, how um, spending was under control, debt was going down, growth was going up. And I did feel he repeated this a little bit too often. Um, and you then start to question um, when you say it too much. Mm-hmm. And Claire, from your perspective, from a pensions point of view, again, not much to to really write home about, but I guess you had a you had your fiscal uh, event um earlier this year with the um, social care levy. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it's I mean, it isn't directly necessarily related to to pensions. But um, when you start sort of unpacking it and the fact that um, with the, the, the short term increase on the social care levy within um, within earnings, you know, yeah, on the national insurance side, you know, people people can avoid some of that by by using salary sacrifice. But come 2023, when they separate it out and we've got basically the social care levy as an independent levy, they've made it very clear that for those people over state pension age, it will still be chargeable. So salary sacrifice and that may may just you know, not help in that sense of avoiding that social care levy. Uh, myself and Chris have spoken before about the fact that it's not just on national insurance, it's also the same level of increase on, on dividends. Um, so at the moment, if you are looking at that increase coming in in, in 2022, 20, uh, then you know, if you can do salary sacrifice or if you can extract as a, an owner manager of a business, if you can extract your profits via ways of pensions without actually doing having being subject to the national insurance increase on salary or the dividend increase, a dividend charge increase on dividends, then actually it's a win-win on the pension side in that sense. But as we all know, you can't live on your pensions if you're not old enough. So not everyone will be able to do that. Uh, and so people have to still make those decisions and, and they won't be able to avoid that charge um, across the board unless they've got significant other assets that they can rely on on a day-to-day basis to live on. Mm-hmm. On the pension side, one of the things that has been been, been mentioned in this budget is the a potential solution to the net pay uh, anomaly. Um, but it's not going to kick in for a good three years. Um, uh, Claire, what's your assessment of what he's done there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a very difficult issue to to rectify. Um, and the, so, one of the suggestions was ban net pay. Well, that's going to be that would be a complete nightmare for for all those employers, uh, and especially on the, the DB side of things. You know, people who, who are making contributions to DB schemes. So, the proposal here is to basically for those people who are not benefiting from tax relief to get 
payments directly to them. So not through their salary uh, payments directly to them. And it will relate to payments from 2024, but aren't going to start until at least 2025. So it's still a a long time coming. I mean, I think this has come from a lot of pressure that he's had from various pensions ministers over the years and from the industry themselves, because auto enrolment was an absolutely brilliant thing and has got loads of people in, but it's costing the lower paid more than it's costing the people who pay tax which just seems a little bit ridiculous when what we're trying to do is encourage the lower paid to invest in pensions for the long term. Mm-hmm. And Damien, if you contrast that at the other end of the spectrum, you've got uh, quite a lot of focus on the tax advantages of pensions. And, and yeah, that, that's only been recent noise, in fairness. You know, people have been coming out saying that some of the inheritance tax advantages of pensions are indefensibly generous. You know, so that there was a lot of speculation before this budget as to whether we might see some changes. Obviously, the, the, the budget card bingo prediction that is usually done is, are we going to slash the amount of uh, income tax relief that people get when they're contributing into their pension? That hasn't happened. You know, we, we might. There's still plenty of scope for them to tinker with the rules, I think, going forward. That might be a, a lever that the Chancellor looks at if he does need to generate revenues in the future. But at, at the moment, you've got at one end, people who are on low incomes who aren't necessarily getting the tax relief they should. And at the other, you've got people who have got very large pension pots, no inheritance tax issues when they pass away. And arguably, they they are perhaps in the firing line for potential changes down the line. Mm. I suppose the other more recent development in terms of budget bingo is um, a potential alignment of uh, CGT and income tax rates, uh, which was an Office of Tax Simplification recommendation from a few years ago. Still no sign of, of anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, again, capital gains, it, there were quite a few recommendations made by the Office of Tax Simplification in their various reports. Now, they've, they've hardly implemented any of them. The only one that's really come in today was actually in their second report where um, the OTS, the Office of Tax Implication, recommended that the new capital gains tax return that people have to do when they sell their properties or second homes, that currently is a 30-day limit that's going to be extended to 60 days. Now, there's lots of good reasons why that's the case, but it, ultimately it comes down to a third of taxpayers who had to do that return were actually hit with a penalty. So it's not you clearly something's not quite working there. But yeah, the the Chancellor has that in his armory still to potentially look at it. Um, We've not seen a lot of taxpayers worry about that. Owner managers haven't been panicking in the same way. There hasn't been been a panic buy situation like there have been in the supermarkets or the forecourts. You know, the, the Basically, business owners have been considering for this year, ultimately, 20% is not too bad a rate. It doesn't sound like the Chancellor, given that he's, as, as David alluded to earlier, forecasted in advance pretty much every major policy decision uh, and being lambasted by it by uh, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, that yeah, we, we weren't expecting big news on that. It, it's still potential. And I think it is in a bit of a too hard to do box for the moment politically for him. He doesn't want to have be the chancellor that is associated with introducing arguably the highest CGT rate in the world. He's got, I think what we saw today was a very polished speech, a lot of style, not a huge amount of substance, um, but but he was very eloquent and perhaps 
has greater ambitions to move it next door. And yeah, we've seen a lot of friction between number 10 and 11 and, and Boris potentially trying to put him in his place. Does he really want to change change that perception of him uh, by introducing one of, the, one of the highest CGT rates? What he could do instead is look at the other recommendations and do some tinkering around the rules. You know, you, there are various things in there in the, uh, in, in the OTS reports on both capital gains tax and inheritance tax where you could do things like, for example, business asset disposal relief, which the, the relief formerly known as entrepreneurs relief, um, that, that has already been sliced and diced and reduced down. But is it is it really fit for purpose? No, it could quite easily scrap it now. It's, it's a maximum of 100 grand per person in terms of tax relief, and it's hugely complex rules. So there's there's loads of ways that you can reform. Um, I think particularly for investors, you know, we've got reliefs like business property relief on AIM portfolios. That's that's always something. Again, playing that budget card bingo. Uh, but the 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 it, people always predicting whether that's going to going to change and actually should AIM portfolios benefit from inheritance tax relief in full. I, the OTS actually didn't recommend that they do that. They just simply pointed out that that relief exists, generally speaking, for owner-managed businesses. So when a business owner dies, they they aren't going to have to wind up the business to meet the inheritance tax liability. Well, you, you don't strictly need to do that if you've got an AIM portfolio. So that could be something that they look at. It would obviously, I mean, I'll probably defer to David on this point, but I'd imagine it would cause turmoil in the AIM market if they were to remove that relief because so many people go into it pretty much on the basis of the inheritance tax advantages. Mm. David? It would cause absolute turmoil uh, in that uh, particular market because uh, um, for a number of uh, AIM companies, the only reason and the largest investors um, in there are um, uh, people who are looking for um, the benefits that business property relief um, brings. And if it um, brings them no benefit anymore, then companies would, uh, money would shift out uh, of those AIM um, companies. There would be big questions as well, what's the point of the AIM market anymore? And I think those companies who are traded on there, um, do they um, simply relinquish the trading ability and become a, uh, a private company again, uh, where you can't um, trade the shares, or do they uh, move forward to the main market and be pu become a, a public listed company uh, with uh, additional um, costs and regulations that that brings? Um, AIM has been a huge benefit, um, not just for the tax uh, uh, advantages, um, but for the regulatory advantages um, as well. But at the same time, um, providing a trading platform. And it would be a disappointment uh, if they disappeared, but I've known this argument go on for donkey's years. When I first entered the industry, people were um, um, you know, questioning this, um, but it still continues. I, for one, um, hope it does, but I've always thought, watch this space. Mm -hmm. On... on the investment side of things, Claire, they are planning on um, reviewing the pension scheme charge cap to encourage schemes to invest in, you know, more interesting things. Um, are you expecting much to to change as a result of that? What are your what's your thoughts on that? 
it's a difficult one because it, it's there to encourage them to to invest in, as you say, more interesting things, which generally are more risky things, um, which and, and te- they, they do come with with a cost. Um, but on the responsibility of the trustees making these decisions under uh, uh, advice to to invest in these things, are are they going to do it? Do they not want to protect their members in that sense? Could it be seen by different parts of the industry, so different regulators, so the TPR, for example, looking at it and saying, you know, you're investing in too much in this side of things just because there's been a charge gap. So I think that one's a wait and see um, how much appetite is there to actually pay a bit more and to to invest in those those those, those wider assets. Interesting. What are your sort of final, Claire? What are what are your sort of overarching thoughts on on, on the budget as we um to, as we wind up? I, I think for me, you know, it, it, just leaving pensions aside for just a second, it's it's really we are seeing an increase in tax. All the noises were we're making more money, pen, uh, salaries are going up, but all we what we do know is that the rates at which we're paying and the the thresholds are not going up. So if you just flip that round, basically people will be paying more tax. Um, and uh, for, for me, on the pension side of that thing is, well, you know, how can we mitigate that? And pensions is obviously always a, a win-win there. But I, I think just because he didn't say anything about income tax particularly doesn't mean that actually we are effectively seeing an increase for the majority of people, even those people who are getting the the, the new uh, living wage. Um, I think you know, people will start tipping into taxable uh, income. It's a good point that I mean the you know we obviously one of the headlines will be about the increase to to the minimum wage, but obviously as Claire says, all the allowances, all the tax bans have been frozen. So by fiscal drag, we are you know a proportion of that that increase will be going to the, you know the tax man ultimately, and and it. Yet the costs to the employer are going to be passed on to us. So yes, we've got some fantastic news about you know champagne being taxed more, but prosecco in the UK not. But actually, you know, we're, will we be paying more for our pints anyway because of the fact that you know, it, our, our the bar staff are going to have to be paid more? You know, it's not necessarily the wrong thing to do. I'm just pointing out that on one hand, you know, we've got a tax giveaway, but actually there's a bit of a tax burden there as well. The cost of living generally has has gone up substantially more. Than wage inflation, you know, it, life life is feeling more costly, and there is going to be a knock-on impact. Across it. We have got some substantial tax increases coming down the road. Got large large increase in corporation tax. There was an announcement today, which he didn't really make any big noise about during the speech today. It was around there's a consultation on an online sales tax. So all the noise was around business rates and how we're going to be getting a seven billion cut, and it's great news for bricks and mortar businesses. Not much about digital taxes. Um, we've seen the OECD have come together with 130 countries agreeing that we're going to have a global minimum rate of corporate tax on on big tech. But it sounds like those companies who have almost had a bit of a windfall out of COVID through through digital sales. They're going to do that. What, what's that going to mean for our investment portfolios? What's that going to mean for ultimately us as consumers? Well, it's unlikely you know, it's, it's, that that's going to be passed on to us, isn't it? And likewise, we've seen um, one of the bigger n- noises made today was around residential property development tax. Now, that's the big, the big question was, we knew it was coming. What's the rate going to be? It's going to be 4% on any large business where... They're making twenty-five million pounds worth profit a year. Well, who's going to ultimately be suffering that? So the cost of living, yeah, going in certainly going in one direction. How's he? How's he adjust for that? Mm. David, what's your uh, what's your final thought on on to, on this budget? 
Um, I certainly think to uh, follow up on Chris's point um, that you've got um, the minimum wage um, being increased. Uh, Labour, of course, think it should be more, but that doesn't surprise me. Uh, but then uh, I, my immediate thought was, well, that's going to cost people who run a pub, for example, and employ people on a minimum wage. And hey, presto, what did he bring in? He said uh, for the hospitality sector, there was going to be a 50% um, discount on business rates. Because uh, certainly when I was watching the news last night, there was a pub landlord saying, you know, um, this is going to hurt us. Well, they found a way to sort of switch it around a bit. Um, and the final point uh, I would make on the budget is this um, um banking surcharge uh, that they mentioned. Currently, it's uh, 8%, and going forward, that's going to be um, 3%. Now, Rachel Reeves, unfairly, I thought, um, said that this was, um, you know, a, a benefit, um, you know, to the rich bankers, etc., and who are going to have um, their champagne or Prosecco uh, um, cheaper going forwards. Well, yes, but um, currently you've got corporation tax of 19% plus 8% bank surcharge. That makes a 27% uh, uh, tax rate. Um Going forward, corporation tax is going to be hiked to 25%. So by reducing the surcharge to 3%, it's still going to be 28%. So the tax take is still going to be higher for the banks. Mm. Interesting. So um, lots more money being spent. At least that's the impression that you'd get from the speech. But, you know, not necessarily... Um all positive news for the uh, for the person who's uh, has to spend the the pound in their pockets to coin a phrase. Um, great. Well, um, thank you very much uh, for your time, David, Chris, and Claire. And uh, thanks very much for listening and tune in again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers, and if you have a lot of mailing to do. Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.